everyone, and welcome to the Barbell Mamas podcast. My name is Christina Previtt. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, researcher in exercise and pregnancy, and a mom of two who has competed in CrossFit, powerlifting, or weightlifting, pregnant, postpartum, or both. In this podcast, we want to talk about the realities of being a mom who loves to exercise. Whether you're a recreational uh, exerciser or an athlete, we want to talk about all of the things that we go through as females going into this motherhood journey. We're going to talk about fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum topics that are relevant to the active individual. While I am a pelvic floor physical therapist, I am not your pelvic floor physical therapist and know that this podcast does not substitute medical advice. All right, come along for this journey with us while we navigate motherhood together, and I can't wait to get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Barbell Mamas podcast. I'm Christina Prevett here, and today I'm excited because I have Carrie Pogliano on this show for this interview, and this is kind of this fun role reversal because I have been on Carrie's podcast, and I'll let her tell you all about it. Uh, over the last couple of years and we end up like having so much fun having all these conversations so because we have so much fun I wanted to flip this on her and have her on the podcast with us to talk about her journey within uh, the pregnancy postpartum space but around finding resistance training after having babies you know we've done a lot of interviews with individuals who were strength training before they got pregnant and then continued during and what that journey looked like But we also have this group of individuals, which I love that we have this growing group of individuals who are finding resistance training after, and then what that looks like in the postpartum period, and then transitioning as well into that perimenopausal space. There are so many deserts when it comes to our information. So I'll let uh, Carrie introduce herself, and then we're going to get started talking a little bit about your journey with resistance training and some of your pelvic knowledge in the middle of that. So I'll- love it. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate the you, you helping letting me fill the gap on moms who find barbells after babies. <laughs> We're still barbell mamas. Finding right? barbells after babies. You're welcome. Um, so I, I I am a mom of two. I start with that um, two that I know of, and I um, wife and mother. I a small business owner. I have a, a physical therapy practice, and I've. Uh, done pelvic floor PT for the last like 25 years, which is weird because I'm 12. So (laughs) um, it was one of those things totally had no sense I wanted to do this. Um, I've been a runner since, oh gosh, since middle school. So that's sort of my jam and my sweet spot. Um, I had an FAI surgery. Um, If you don't know what that is, it's basically like hip scope, think Lady Gaga, A-Rod, that sort of thing. I got mine before them. So I am the trendsetter. That was after my, I used to joke first and last marathon, but we might be changing that. We'll see. Um, Back in the day, had surgery and then thought, okay, maybe we don't get to run anymore. Change gears, started, you know, having kids and uh, ended up with all the fun things, despite being a pelvic floor PT, lapse and leakage and abdominal separation. Um, And then about, oh gosh, I think my youngest was three. And I went to take a female athlete course and picked up a barbell and thought, oh, can I swear on this? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Oh shit. I need to learn how to do this. (laughs) And this was like 2016. So 
if you think back history-wise, 2013, there was like a lot of like negative energy between physios and CrossFit. And it was like, basically it's okay to pee when you lift. And so we were all like eh, anti-CrossFit. And so here I find myself um, incognito in my local CrossFit gym, not telling anybody for a year that I was a PT. <laughs> so um, I shut my mouth and I learned a lot and um, actually work with a lot of, of lifters now. I still work a lot with runners and lo and behold, the research says, uh, lifting heavy and lifting good load is awesome for runners and performance and also a, plays a great role in hip rehab. So um, for me, it was kind of my saving grace because I finished a half marathon this year, just did a 10 miler about six weeks ago. Uh, it feels great. And so it's kind of been a huge game changer for me. So I never planned on it, but you kind of feel badass under a barbell. So <laughs> that's my story. Yeah. <laughs> Like, let's kind of talk about the OG stuff around CrossFit. So yeah, um, for individuals who were not in the CrossFit space in 2013, there is a video that came out about women peeing with double unders. Like, this is probably like the big story, something or other. I can't remember who it was, but he did the video. Yeah. Rory McKernan, I think. Yes. He's still involved with CrossFit now. And the idea I think was, was good. And you and I have kind of battled with this language around trying to reduce shame around peeing but it hit so bad just with the pelvic world. it was like, Oh, it's totally okay to pee. Like, don't worry about it. Just pee your pants. And it was like, yeah, it was trying to bring exposure, which I guess it kind of did, but it was doing it in the wrong way. And we see this with lifters too, right? If you ain't peeing, you ain't PRing. And there's even a paper that talked about normalizing peeing with lifting. And I was oh, like, man. Oh. but then that, that really did put a bad taste in PT's mouths. And then there was this dissonance because yes. people were having injuries in sport and CrossFit is a sport like any other where injuries can come up, including pelvic injuries, but they were going to physio and physio was saying, don't, don't do it. Just like quick CrossFit. It's so bad for you. And you're, you're right. Like the, it has changed and it has more. It, it's funny because it's like, I was like cheating on my profession by going and working out there. And even like my GP was like, I told him, I'm like, yeah, I go a couple times a week. And he's like, Oh, you're going to get injured. I was like, no, dude, I'm not. Cause I'm not being stupid, but no, I literally did not tell anyone for a year. And you know, you get humbled because I didn't know how to do any of those movements, lifting a weight and trying to navigate this with my own pelvic floor issues. I'm like, wait, what the hell is going on here? Because it wasn't anything that we were really learning in our profession. And so for me, it, it was like a coming to Jesus moment for a lot of different reasons. The profession's telling me this is bad, but my body's telling me it's good. <laughs> so. so can you talk about navigating coming into CrossFit, having oh. pre-existing history of pelvic health issues? Yeah. Talk about what those were and, and how that interacted with you starting CrossFit? Yeah. I mean, it's... I, I get honestly really jealous of people that know what those movement f movements feel like in a pre-pregnancy body, because I will never know that. And so you're already coming in. And I guess with my hip stuff, that was actually initially more of a concern because deeper squats, I just couldn't do, they were painful. So when you're not doing much initially, it's like, okay, you're not really symptomatic. I couldn't do, um, double under still can't, but just haven't tried Things like that. Initially, it wasn't so much that it was more my hip, but later on, when you're starting to lift heavier, again, you've got people in your ear saying, oh, this is bad for what's going on with you. 
What it actually made me realize though, is I would get symptoms just randomly. And I was like, is it what I'm doing in the workout? What the heck is going on? I realized after a couple months that it was cyclic and I was like, Whoa, wait a second. This is my hormones playing a role. So, but again, like you, you question yourself, you're like, is it what I'm doing? And it wasn't at all. It was this other thing that's like, no, actually these are your hormones. You're, you need to, to learn how to deal with those. But, um, I think the biggest one, and again, this kind of gives the date is like back in the day, like abdominal separation diastasis was this whole thing. And we were taught not to do much. And here you are doing you know, butterfly sit-ups with an ab mat. Like, oh my God, should I be doing this? And then you can do it. And then you're like, wait, I'm not dead yet. Nothing flew out. I am okay. And I think that was one of the things that for me, it really challenged the things that I was being taught and told. And I'm like, well, wait, if I can do this and I can navigate this and I'm seeing other people doing this, is there really something to it? Or is it just something that's fear-based? Yeah. And I, I think for physios, the best thing you can do is try different movement. Oh my God. Yes. 100%. You know, try different yeah. people's exercise programming and try bar a and try F 45 and like, yep. go and try these things because you're right. Like there's a lot of fear mm-hmm. in things that we don't know about. And so when CrossFit blew up into the, the scene, like, you know, there is right. that study that came out around, around CrossFit and injury risk. And then it looked at the fact that it wasn't analyzed statistically in the right way. And like all that type of thing, like, it can just, it can create this narrative that we have until, yeah. you know, some people come in and, and push that narrative. And even like the last five years in the pregnancy postpartum space, like look at how different it is. Oh, it's night and day, absolute night and day that we're talking about, Hey, this is how we do this in pregnancy. Your, your study was like, yeah, okay. People have been doing this for a long time. We need to catch up on how we navigate that. So it was really cool to kind of watch the evolution. But again, to your point too, like, unless you try that movement, how are you going to teach somebody to navigate that? And that's where I feel a ton of confidence working with it is like, because I know what it feels like. I might not be able to lift as much as you, but I sure as hell kind of understand those kind of like things that you need to feel in your body. And I think that was, again, when, when you're postpartum, you've got that many things going on. Plus I had my hip history. I think there was part of me where I'm like, no, you really can't do this. You don't have capacity. This is a lot of different movements like hipping. What the hell is that? Like singing your body in the air. You're too old for this stuff. So like, it, it, again, I'm not Tia. I am not Annie, but I, I can move. <laughs> and and, and that's so important. And, yeah. you know, you said something really interesting about how you're sometimes really jealous around yes. like having felt these movements in a non-pregnant body versus pregnant yeah. body. And I wonder, the flip of that is your movements are never going to feel exactly like they felt like pre-pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that creates fear in the postpartum person. Like yes. I think about, you know, when you're heavy squatting after having a vaginal birth, you're going to feel your perineum or like the, the tissue between the bottom yes. of your vagina and the top of your butthole move more. There's it's because there's been a stretch because a baby's head has come through there, you right. know? And that can be really alarming for yeah. people. Like first time they start lifting heavy and, and it can create a lot of concern about what that feels like. And is that okay? 
And so I try really hard for all my pregnant people being like, this is what you're going to expect to feel like if you had a vaginal birth. Right. Like, these are normal changes. Like, you mm -hmm. know, we're going to have more movement of your front wall of your vagina. And like, these are things that you're going to feel when you're lifting. And um, so I wonder, you know, other side of that is, you know, maybe you didn't like, th that was your normal, like, and how it felt in your pelvis. Right. Well, it didn't have... So well, I, I can kind of relate to it in the context. And this is what I tell people. I'm like, I didn't do any of this stuff before, but I've run for a long time. And that I, I've experienced, like, you're going to feel things flopping around a little bit. It's going <laughs> to, but I think, I, I think that the difference there is, I think there's far more variability and things that you do in a CrossFit space than you would on a run per se. And so yeah. that's where I do think there's some differences there, but I can definitely relate to, Hey, things feel definitely different. Um, but I think that's to be appreciated because, you know, it, you're going to feel different if it's, it's a different body. It's a different body. Right. I think, and you know, I always make the comparison that we, we know that our skin is going to change after having a baby like that from either stretch marks or loose skin because of you know, right. that, that stretch, but like, we don't think yep. that our vagina is going to change at all. It's going to go completely back to factory size. <laughs> be the same. It, it's funny, like um, we were talking a little bit before we came on about um, kind of perimenopause and menopause and that sort of thing, like these transitions that we have in our lives, we have these expectations of what they're going to be. And like, you have no freaking idea. Like, in your twenties, you think of like, like I'm 47 now, like fifties, like old and gray and practically with a walker at that point, when you're thinking about it in your twenties, like, nope, it's not even close to that at all. So <laughs> just goes to say expectations in reality, typically different. So I think you brought up something really uh, interesting. And I, I kind of want to keep going yeah. with this is that how exercise feels different mm -hmm. in an aging body mm -hmm. and how that interacts with being pregnant and postpartum. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's hard because we can make this comparison game, like you said, to before we had babies, but also like in a younger body, yeah. right? Like anybody who's in the master's athlete sphere and I'm 34. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of getting into that 35 plus. I used to be able to just like jump on a pull-up bar and start busting out pull-ups and I didn't have to warm up overhead. You know, that's, that's not the case anymore. And that's not necessarily bad. That's just that I have a 15 year barbell history almost now. <laughs> and like, yes. You know, like I've had the opportunity for, me to hit niggles and, you know, some things that have been injuries and some things that have just been hindrances. And, mm -hmm. you know, like even that comparison game can be really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about your clinical practice? Cause you see a lot of women who go directly from having babies later. So in mm -hmm. their thirties and in their forties, and then they go into their postpartum period and then they start edging up around perimenopause and, and there may not be actually any window in between where they may bump up into kind right. of a pre-pregnancy estrogen level. Can you kind of like, kind of speak to that different situation? Yeah. So I I'm in the, the Washington DC Metro area and we're a little high strung down here. I've lived here 25 years. I can say that I've, I've earned that. Um, everybody here for the most part, mover shakers type a, we tend to delay having babies. My youngest, I think I was 34, which now I look back, I'm like, God, I was a baby older. No, actually my youngest was 30. I was 37. My oldest, I was 34. And that was pretty young. Like the average age of my pregnant clients right now is probably between 38 and 40. If I have somebody in, in their twenties, typically they move from somewhere else, maybe military family, that sort of thing. That's just kind of standard around here. And so 
there's a couple things that kind of come with that. One is they have a pretty significant movement history kind of leading up to that. Where I live in Arlington, Virginia, we two years in running are the most active town, city, whatever. We're actually a county, but whatever in the country. So people here, we bike, we, you know, we do CrossFit, we do marathons, all sorts of things like that. Everybody's really active and they're used to a certain standard of activity that they are used to controlling. Um, pregnancy is the first like grenade in the middle of that. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, you, you talk about athlete mindset. Um, you know, there's a serious athlete professional mindset here that, that you have a lot of control over things. And if you're lucky enough to have navigated an injury before, and I say that in the nicest way is it does prepare you for this is because you do know that there's going to re- be a rehab on the other side of it. If you haven't, then this is also going to be abrupt and brutal. Um, but I think the difference being now as compared to even like when we had my youngest in 10 years ago is, you know, because of research, because of, um, kind of what we understand more, we're able to stay active longer through pregnancy. But I think there's also a lot higher expectations on how quickly they want to get back. Um, tons of my clients want to get back and they're like, Hey, I want to do a marathon that first year. I'm like, just sleep plenty of time later on. I don't know if they think they're going to die soon or what's going to happen, or, um, they're not thinking about perimenopause and menopause. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> right. Cause they're, they're starting their motherhood journey. Right. They are, but I, I you know, it's really interesting. And especially in places like this, like what's the gap going to be? My mom, she just told me, gosh, I think we talked like a month ago. She went through menopause at 41 and I was like, um, you had my brother at like, I think she was like 30, 36, 37, 38 or something like that. Like she didn't have a lot of turnaround, but then also that would have been really nice to know, say, mm, I don't know, six years ago, because you know, that can kind of run in families, which I now know that I did not. Um, but I, I think the hard part is they're just wrapping their head around getting back to movement the first thing they're being asked in a six week post-op visit is what kind of birth control you're going to be on and not realizing that if, if perimenopause is on its way, how do you ask those questions of what birth control you're going to be on? What are the expectations of this when they're just like, Oh, Hey, don't worry about this till you're 51. Right. Really? Yeah. So you said so many things that are so powerful. One is around like conversation around oral contraceptives and, you know, A lot of people like to hate on physicians, but like we have to understand the context and system at which they're right. being delivering these messages. And right. the reason is, is because interpregnancy windows of less than six months can, can be really detrimental to baby. Like there's a higher risk for things um, and they don't have another opportunity. Like, and did you, right. else did you see your obstetrician? Like, you know, I didn't see them again after that six week checkup, except for stuff with baby. Right. So, you know, like I follow some OBs and they're like, we don't have another opportunity. No, like on us for this, but like we don't no they it. don't. And if you're, if you're like the new PAP things here in the States, like I forget, it's like bumped to like every four or five years now, but they forget the fine print of actually, you're supposed to get a pelvic exam every year, but nobody reads that. Cause they're like, ah, eh, what's a pelvic, whatever I'm out. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. so there's, there's that piece to it. Mm-hmm. But the other interesting part is like having these conversations and so many physicians aren't really well-versed. And I, again, I don't want to put this blame on the physicians, but like, there's, there's so little information around menopause, you know, like Mm -hmm. I've had patients who are perimenopausal or postmenopausal and have pain with sexual activities. And they're asking, are you doing it right? Like literally had somebody say that. And they're like, 
well, I've been having sex with my husband for the last 35 years. Like pretty sure I'm okay. Like, why, you know, why can't we talk about vaginal estrogen? I'm on. And uh, you know, that goes back to, you know, the 2000 study or whatever. And, and, um, oh God, Ann Curry or whoever was on the today show that totally blew it out of proportion. And I've had that conversation with my mom. Like, she's like, I, if you ever want to be cruel to somebody, put them on HRT and then take them off of it and don't give them anything else. And I, it was weird having that conversation because I remember my mom during that time and, you know, she held her shit together. I'll give her that. But she was telling me, she's like, it was a, she was a nightmare. She's like, yeah. to, to give me control over all of these symptoms and then you take them away. And now we find out 20 years later, it's, it was for no good reason. So, so. to kind of lay the foundation for that, when we are thinking about pain with sexual activity, we we're thinking about symptoms in the postpartum period you kind of go from really high estrogen to really low. And one of the ways that we can manage that is with topical estrogen creams because the tissues around where our vagina opens can get thinner and just be more easily irritated. This is also things that we're seeing in peri and, and menopause. And it's the terminology now has switched to genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So that fraying of, and that thinning of the the tissue around your vulva or your external genitalia tends to change. And so, you know, Car Carrie's right. Like the, for me, I was like, as soon as I start becoming perimenopausal or postpartum, if I decide to have another baby, I don't, we're, we're kind of in the conversation, but <laughs> torturing myself with it, but I'm going to be asking for topical estrogens right away. Cause oh, yeah. I had, I had pain and it was like literally in line with when I was nursing, it was like, I was, I nursed for four months with my daughter and then I, I was having difficulties, but then I nursed for nine months with my son. And it, it, it was like in those windows. And I was like, why? And I know better, like, you know? And so, yeah, I, I said like, if I'm postpartum or I'm perimenopausal, I'm going to be asking for topical estrogens. You're going to yeah. keep me on it until the day that I die. <laughs> like, well, I, th I think honestly, I mean, we, we've got to deal with the whole like uh, GSM and, and perimenopause and menopause first. And then I think it's going to get dialed back to the postpartum. We're really lucky enough. One of the, um, most vocal urologists about topical estrogen is Dr. Rachel Rubin. Um, I've known her since she was a med student at Georgetown. Um, oh, and, yeah. um, she came down and, and chatted with me when I was there as a, as a physio. And so I've known her for a long time. And so I'm pretty lucky in that, um, you know, her, her advocacy is local, <laughs> but still, I, I mean, I think that brings about the bigger question of how much do we actually understand about our hormones throughout, um, and kind of, you know, how soon do we start talking about this? I mean, I have a, a daughter who's 10 and every time I have a patient that comes in and I ask them when their period starts and they tell me 10, that hits a little harder. <laughs> Absolutely. How do we start, yeah, how, start having these conversations around the influence of estrogen on our bodies and how do we prepare women for these different phases in their life? Like, you know, in pregnancy, one of the things that I tell people is like, it gets a little moist down there, you know, like these are things that I didn't know going into my own everywhere <laughs> during your pregnancy. And then postpartum, it becomes a little bit drier, you know, like a little bit more like a desert down there. And like, yeah. you know, and that's purely around estrogen influence, but we don't tell people. Like I had somebody who was seeing a pelvic PT because she thought she was peeing herself, but it was really cervical fluid because uh, there was no, like, there was no increase in pressure. Like there was no incident. It was just that after the day she would look in her, her underwear, it was wet. And so you know, how do we start having these types of conversations? And then, you know, how do we set women up in that? 
I don't know if it's in the postpartum period. I don't know how we get that education out around the transition, like what you felt in the postpartum period is some of the symptoms that are going to start getting mimicked when you're in that perimenopausal to menopausal transition. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, I have, my son's almost 13 and, um, I don't know what he's learning in health class. I don't think it's anything right now. Um, And he was talking about, um, my husband's out of town and they're really close. And he's like, can I come sleep with you tonight? And I was like, so here's the thing. I wake up a whole bunch of times at night. And so when I wake up at night, I turn the clock radio on. So it helps me go back to sleep. And this is why I wake up a whole bunch of times. And so while we're walking the dog, he got a little lesson in perimenopause and menopause. And we talk about starting early with our daughters. I think it needs to come with everybody because he needs to understand that this is, you know, estrogen owners go through changes and this is what it is. Like it it can't just be the girls. It's gotta be everybody. And um, it was a lovely conversation and he was, you know, probably a little embarrassed, but he's like, thanks for talking to me about that. Like, great. (laughs) You're welcome. And you know, even like male anatomy, how many men are dealing with things like erectile dysfunction or, or other concerns, like not only do men need to know about feeling it, but their own anatomy around, you know, there's a lot of vascular changes that happen with aging that can create issues with sexual performance. And you know, like exercise is a huge part of male infertility and like it can hugely boost their fertility with, you know, like there's just so many, yeah, there's so much education I think it's just so important. And, you know, I always talk about how, you know, all this leaking with lifting, this is a coaching problem. Yeah. Right? We would never accept that 50% of lifters have knee pain without being really annoyed about it, but we accept it for peeing or leaking. And I'm sure in the running space, it's very similar. Like it's, it is. I mean, it, it, it's funny. You're, you're talking about that with coaching and um, you know, I, I get really frustrated with, if, if a coach knows that somebody has a back problem or something like that, they're going to go over and give them cues or modify or things like that. How occasionally we'll have a coach that like, if there's double unders program that for that day, they'll warm up with singles and doubles. And I go at five 30 in the morning. And it's funny. Cause there's a crew of us that are over 40 that we go for the pre warm up, warm up. <laughs> we go at like five 15. Cause we have our routine of things that we have to go through so that we feel good for the warm up because it's early and that sort of thing but then when when you like your warm ups really like i'm not a 20 something please don't make me do impact as like i literally rolled out of bed and now you're making me do singles and doubles we need to do better there too because you would have done something different had you known about my other injury because this one is unseen that shouldn't make it any different. Well, even from a coaching perspective, and I have been guilty of this too. We would never go from an empty bar to a 350 pound deadlift. We would never go from standing still to a max sprint. And we would never go from standing still. We would never go to max jumping, you know, but like, that's how we tend to warm up for impact. And then all of a sudden our pelvic floor is like, good morning. Yeah, it's not ready. No, it's not. And I mean, it's the same thing with running. Because I mean, I mean, take take the you know the pandemic and everybody got running because it was easy and it was available. Like, okay, just run and see how it goes. We say that to moms for a really long time after you know they have babies. Like, oh, do you want to go see how it goes? No, it's gonna go bad. (laughs) If it doesn't go bad now, it's gonna go bad later. Like, why don't we prep our body for these things? And of course, the older you get, kind of as you mentioned earlier, you need to do a little bit more. 
Um, so like for your, your, your lifters, you need to probably do a little bit more cardio and running and things like that. And for those of us that are runners, we probably need to do a little bit more lifting. Like need to spread, it needs to be a smorgasbord as opposed to like ordering off the menu. Like, yeah. and you know, just like you said, that's one of the reasons why I love CrossFit is that it really does like yeah. create a whole bunch of different aspects of fitness. Yep. It's a challenge coming back to it postpartum because you're trying to get your core ready for gymnastics and your pelvic floor ready for impact and your entire body ready for max lift. Like there's just so many things to it. Yep. It's also exciting because it allows for this carryover and potential injury prevention space where we're not kind of just going into one right. mode running. Exactly. And, and we see in the master's athlete research that when you are older, like your sixties and seventies running, that they are able to keep running more if they're cross training. And I think that just makes so much sense. Well, even, even looking back, I think there was a paper in the last year or so comparing adults who were runners, if they played ball sports as kids, they were less likely to have, um, like lower leg or some sort of injuries as adults compared to adult runners who had always run. And I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, my daughter, um, she does rec basketball and then, um, field hockey, which I still don't understand by the way, and softball, we still don't have running as a sport yet. I think she will go there eventually, but all the cutting and things like that, when you have this growing body and you're teaching it to do all these things, of course, it's going to be better later on because you're developing these strategies that you're going to last a lifetime. So that, I think it's just a cool place for us to sit right now because we can look and kind of see some of this stuff with, with our kids and then also wrap our head around what our parents went through. And then also hopefully have a little bit more of a say and understanding and kind of where we are in the childbearing years and into Perry and, and menopause and that sort of thing. So it's, it, you know, having been at this for 25 years, it's a pretty privileged place to sit, to see so much change and especially the last like, five years. So it's almost like picked up momentum, I feel like. And oh, I, yeah. I think too, like, as you said, there's so many women who are choosing to delay having kids until later. I feel like those moms too are trying to push for so much understanding of where their body is. Mm-hmm. And then individuals who are part of the big wave to get more information around pregnancy and postpartum are now becoming perimenopausal or menopausal and are yeah. demanding the same amount of change in the menopausal space and the people that are going to benefit are, you know, if you're a mama who's 20 something listening to this and you're like, Oh, well, this isn't something that's relevant to me right now. It's like, you're right. But it's something that, you know, you can set yourself up for success during menopause. And we're going to be pushing the boundaries of our information and our knowledge that when you get there, we're going to be ready for you, you know? Yeah. No, I, I mean, one of the things I talked to with, with new moms that are, you know, trying to find, pick out what exercise program they like and want to do in postpartum. I was like, one of the things I want you to think about, and I do this a lot with runners because they need to be doing strengthening and runners only like to run, um, is I'm like, you need to seriously think about getting under a barbell for a lot of different reasons. The first being later on the menopause induced osteoporosis, getting under a barbell is going to hit spine. It's going to hit hips. It's going to hit all the things that we're going to be concerned about. The sooner you can get on board on this, the better. And Oh, by the way, your running performance will actually get better if you start doing this. And we have some data now to support this. So, um, I think planting the seed sooner 
and and that's where I I, I feel like you know, as a mom who got to lifting after having kids, it's not too late. It's not like, okay, well, you're, you're a runner and then that's it. And there's nothing else. And I, I think that sometimes in our twenties, we, we, we project ahead and be like, oh my God, this is all there, there'll ever be. No, you get to do new things, which is kind of fun. When I look back in the rear view, I'm like, it's scary to walk into a gym <laughs> and the, the smells and the sweat and the, the, the music is loud and depends on if it's country. That's a total different vibe than like the people that are like mega death. Like, and it's a very, <laughs> right. you don't know what you're walking into and who totally. your coach is. And if it's a boy or a girl, like a whole different thing. So I look back on that. I'm like, okay, it took balls to do that. And then look what came from it. And now can we pay this forward to women that actually really could benefit from that and, you know, find that postpartum community that really have kids and bring their kids to the gym and kind of all that stuff too. Like there can be a social aspect of that as well. That can be incredibly fulfilling. Yeah. I think you said so many things that were powerful. So the first one was around like starting early Mm -hmm. and like, I know my podcast, like whole point is to try and remove fear. And I get messages almost every day now saying like, you made me so much less afraid to like exercise during pregnancy and postpartum. And like, it fills my heart with so much joy. And I know your active mom podcast, it does the same thing. It talks about navigating things and and that everything isn't going to be a straight line, but that doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. Right. And that kind of leads to my second point where one of the things that you and I have tried to really push back against is this idea that you have to be careful and fragile during your pregnancy and postpartum journey. And we really want to go against that messaging because the third thing you said that's super important is that you're setting yourself up for your 70 year old self, your 80 year old self, right? Like we want to create as much strength around our joints, create as much muscle as we can, and then try and hold on to it for dear life for the rest of our life. Right. And, you know, like my bias obviously is towards resistance training, but also when we look at the research, like a more muscled body tends to be more resilient as Mm -hmm. we get into our eighties and into our nineties. And it, it allows us to keep our independence And I think about that every day. (laughs) I don't want to think about our motivation with our little kids and our littles and be like, I want to have the fitness for them. But I'm like, I want to have the fitness for my grandkiddos. Like, you know, like I want, I want to keep that for as long as I can. And like, what do I need to do? And there's seasons for exercise. And, you know, I was training 12 hours a week when we were in North Carolina. I'm at maybe four right now. And, it's all good. It's okay. And it's, 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 you know, like I'm doing a postdoctoral fellowship. Like there's all these things, like, but I still, like, if I'm going to, if I have the, the opportunity, I'm going to try and prioritize doing a little bit of that strength <laughs> training to support my fitness. And so I think you're, you're so right. And then that it's not too late. Like number four, no, it's not too late. Like you can, and you're not going to get bulky and I kind of don't mind it. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like it. Hair. <laughs> I've even said, I was like, you know, I would consider taking steroids if I didn't think that I'd have a heart attack or something. Right? I kind of like my like, shoulders. Like, oh. oh my God. No, it's funny though, because you, you, you just don't know either. And I, um, I'm, I'm at a weird transition right now. We talked a little bit about this where um, I recently um, came off uh continuous, uh, oral contraceptives because I was all of a sudden hypertensive and I kind of had, was wanting to do that anyway. And so I was like, Hey, let me come off this. And lo and behold, I'm 99% sure I'm like in menopause, which is not what I had expected. There's a lot of things that have moved really quickly. And so in the rear view, um, I'm like, Oh wait, did I prepare? Like, and so I kind of look back and I'm like, all those decisions that I made before, 
they prepared me for what I thought I was going to experience and kind of go for this long, slow period that actually just happened sort of instantaneously. But the work that I have done, the resistance training, all that kind of stuff, like that's, that's, you know, gas in the tank for me. So what I did before prepared me for now. So even though it happened way faster than I had anticipated for a lot of different reasons, I, I didn't miss the boat on anything. And I, again, I, I, we have so much to learn about hormones, perimenopause, menopause, that sort of thing. Um, I think there's these ideals and things that you have to kind of put out there so that there's general advice, but you know, individual scenarios are important and you may get there sooner. Kind of we talked about, you may get there sooner than you think. And so you know, the second you're done having kids or even while you're in the middle of it, you kind of have to have one eye looking ahead and being like, all right, well, what do I, what do I want to be doing? How do I see myself and how can I stay active to do that? My mom in, in, in a time where it wasn't normal, she was a teacher. She would go to the gym at school and work out. And it was all guys there or she would go swim or she would do these things and then do her job and then come home. And I look at that and my mom's really active now. Um, she kayaks, she, you know, hikes, she, um, she broke her ankle over the winter because she was mountain biking. Um, <laughs> and she's uh, mid seventies. She takes care of my, my dad who has Parkinson's and, um, she does great. And I was like, you know, she inadvertently had done all these things back then that I think are serving her now. And so I'm hoping to kind of build on that and, you know, I'm patting my previous self on the back to be like, Hey, good job because we need you now. <laughs> and like the, I think you're, you're kind of touching too on the emotional side of it. Oh you know, yeah. Some people, like, so many people aren't ready or they're, they're just so soon postpartum to be realizing that they're, they're coming crashing into another part of their life really quickly. Mm-hmm. And we're not ready or, or didn't even know what to expect or, no. you know, people who have like placenta accreta issues where they end up having an emergency hysterectomy and then they get put into surgical menopause yes. immediately. Yes. And, you know, th- those are things that are, you know, medical emergencies or something that they can do about it. But like, there's a lot of emotional processing that has to happen with one coming to terms, even if babies are not on your radar with the closing right. fertility window mm-hmm. and what that looks like as you're going into very different part of your, your life journey, but also your, your exercise journey. Well, there's that, that you kind of understand through your own kind of, I don't know, timeline and kids and that sort of thing. But I think there's this other thing that socially, how do we frame menopause? And it's always the woman that's like profusely sweating and Oh, the hot flashes, or it's like golden girls or something like that. And that there's a, gigantic gap between that and who I see myself as right now. And it's kind of tricky to wrap your head around it. Like, I really feel like I'm at this really sweet spot right now where I found a really nice, um, mashup between the amount of times a week I, I go to the gym, the amount of running that I'm doing, the fact that I'm able to run distances that I thought were off the table 16 years ago, I'm feeling good. And then you have this weird period of time where you're like, crazy symptoms, like anxiety, like not an anxious person. I'm just not. And you're like, what, what's wrong with me? What's, you know, you're waking up a bajillion times at night, blaming the dog and you've had the dog for four years. So it can't possibly be the dog, like second guessing yourself, which is all stuff that we talk about with postpartum. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the same thing again. 
So you're trying to reconcile that with golden girls and what you see on TV and how you feel where you are and, and like, how do you kind of make sense of it all? And then because of who we are, you try and turn to the literature and that's a dumpster fire and the voices that are out there on social media, which are, (laughs) (laughs) we'll just leave that one for a minute. Um, (laughs) And so like in some ways it's familiar because that's the, the revolution in postpartum pregnancy and postpartum care is where literally my life's work has been. And I'm like, all right, saddle up, roll up your sleeves. Let's go again. You know? And you know, the other thing that's really interesting though, is like kind of like looking into the weeds of it. We have research that menopause affects cognition and creates brain fog, mm-hmm. creates arthralgias or joint pain. It creates issues with sleep. Like we have those. And then like one, how do we get that information out to people that these are yes. signs that your hormones are changing, but then also flip that. How do we educate on the fact that that's a part of the postpartum journey as well? Like you think postpartum haze. And like, part of it is like, you're not sleeping because a the baby's there, but we get gaslit. We totally get gaslit. I, I, I talked to a client earlier today. And I, I think the other thing too, is nobody's thinking about this stuff unless you're like late forties, early fifties. And it's like, okay, you've got brain fog. You, um, you've got increased anxiety. You're not sleeping. Oh, you're just stressed out. You're just a mom and you have a business and a couple of kids. And you know, we, the last couple of years with the pandemic has been really hard we gaslight ourselves. And then we go into providers that unless you're advocating or unless you're with somebody who's certified in understanding this stuff that actually takes you seriously, which is what I did. And she's like, yep, guess what? This is what we're going to do. And I, I walked out of there. I'm probably going to cry now, but like, I walked out of there feeling hurt and be like, okay, fine. I'm not freaking crazy. <laughs> right. And, and that's so hard when like, for us in the Canadian context, like so many of those conversations are happening with our primary care provider mm. and we're not, we're not getting a referral to a urologist or a gynecologist for menopause, yeah. right? You're like, it's considered something that you can have managed through primary care. And so, you know, they're not so- there yet. We're not we're there. Not there. It should yeah. be because it's not hard. And that's where, again, I, I'm feeling like this whole like advocacy feeling about us as physios um, because lots of times we are almost in a primary care position because we, we know our clients, kids' names, we know where they went on vacation. We know what their one rep maxes are. Like we know what their lifestyle is and we know when something is off. And I think we need to know how to validate. I think the list of uh, symptoms that come along with perimenopause is like, I don't know, 60 things that like, honestly, you could relate to anything, which is really not fair either. Cause you know, what do you do? But like, we know, you know, we know. And if you're asking yourself the question, give yourself the respect of somebody who's going to give you the space to be able to navigate that instead of just gaslight you and blow you off and be like, Oh, you're just this, or, Oh, you're just that. Um, but I think we need to be better as primary care providers of, acknowledging and validating and being like, okay, now this are, these are what the next steps are. This is who we need to find because obviously we can't prescribe. These are the things that you might want to consider in, you know, exercise. And, and again, that's a tricky one too. There's a lot of people giving a lot of advice on that. Um, I think I'm of the mindset of my experience where variability, and I guess this goes along with CrossFit too, variability is going to buy you a lot. Um, You know, we don't need to do just like we talked about in pregnancy, like lightweights and restful and take it easy. That's not very menopause either. 
but like, what should it look like? And I, I think that's where we need to kind of, um, I think we need to get better. <sighs> we need to understand better. We need to gather that knowledge and we need to be prepared to ask those questions. And we need to ask the questions of our clients to help them get to that so that they know that they have somebody else in their corner. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time because I could talk to you all day. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just hang out forever and ever. <laughs> so what is one thing like kind of looking back on your journey that you wish you would have known going into your motherhood, like pregnancy, oh. part of what are, what's kind of like one or two things that like you wish that you would know, would have known that you talk to your patients about all the time. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I think there's motherhood things. And then I, I think there's things that I, I wish I'd done differently in pregnancy that the motherhood things are just like the second you conceive is the second you've lost control. And the, the more you resist that it will persist. Um, if you get that figured out and you learn how to be flexible early on, I've got one in middle school, one wrapping up elementary school, that shit doesn't change. The context changes, but I got two grenades that come home every day and I have no idea if they're going to explode, what's going to happen. We fill up with snacks, but who knows what's going to happen. So, and I think that comes with the physical stuff too. The more flexible you are, the less rigid. That's one thing I wished with my first, if I couldn't get that 40 minute perfect workout, then I wouldn't do it. And I had a kid that it would take, you know, 40 minutes to put him down for a 20 minute disaster nap. Um, he's still on brand. <laughs> he's almost 13. So <laughs> I like him consistent. We'll keep it at that. So yeah, that's probably one of them is, just, you know, just be aware that it, it, again, I, I was the girl that laminated my first birth plan. So, um, don't do that. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so powerful. And I think, you know, for a lot of our really active individuals too, they're so used to having control over everything, you know, yeah. like control what food we have. We, we track it, we weigh it, we have an exercise log, we know how we feel with our exercise log, we control sleep. And then we're like, we're going to do this thing and we're going to go into pregnancy. And then they, they have the same goals and, they, and they, you know, they set these same expectations. And sometimes it works out like that. And mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't. And like, you know, yeah. the going into it and having that idea that there's going to be a lot that's outside of our control. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have a, a, uh, buoys that we're going to try and stay within, but mm -hmm. maybe swing, swim off course and then we'll come back to them. I think it, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And done is better than perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Even before I got on the call with you, I was like, okay, I have all these things to do. I'm like, these are the ones that I'm going to hit on for sure. Bang, got through like 15 sets. And I was like, out I get. <laughs> I, I have a dear friend. She's like, you know, you've got all these balls. You juggle them. You don't drop the glass ones. You can drop the rubber ones. Don't drop the glass ones. <laughs> I love that. All yeah. right, Carrie, where can people find you? I oh to you my gosh. Social, so I know. Know. I know basically. <laughs> and by the way, we've never met in person. That's what I think is the most hysterical thing about all of this is like, we just never met in person. You can find me. Uh, I hang out on Instagram because it's nicer uh, at Carrie Pagliano. And then my website is at Carrie, uh, Try and keep it consistent and simple. Okay. Where's your podcast? What's your, I, I oh, about your podcast? Yeah. But. The active mom postpartum podcast. We are wrapping up our second year. I think we're going to hit a hundred guests this February, which is kind of insane. Yeah. And that's uh, our audience. It's kind of like half moms, half postpartum professionals. So if you're both, it's really cool. We talk to a lot of people. We talk to runners, researchers, CrossFit athletes. I've got some climbers in there. I also talk about other things like, you know, we talk about postpartum rest and some cultural sorts of things that are out there too. 
Um, so it's just a fun way to kind of connect to other people. And I selfishly just love to talk about other things with, with people. So, um, yeah, you can find us there. Amazing. I know. I felt lucky that I got to be a a repeat guest on there. I know you're one of like just a handful, my special people that I love and adore. And I could just like hang out with all day. You get to come on and we talk about a bunch of things. So hopefully everybody feels that way too. I will make sure that I put all of those links into the show notes. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. And I can't wait for this episode to come out. I know. Thanks so much for having me.